Well, tonight is going to be a little interesting, I hope. And um, I want to talk to you about a, a simple little subject, bound and loose, because of where we've been studying the book of Romans in chapter 7, bound and loose. And there's some interesting scripture that uh, kind of seems a little on the controversial side. They're not the easiest verses to explain. And so we're going to take a look at some of them. So turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. We might as well start at the first book in the Bible, Genesis and chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. You know, God created Adam. Adam named all the animals. But it says there was no help meet for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam, and the Lord took one of his ribs and made a, a woman. And uh, this little boy heard this story, and he says, Ma, quick. She ran in there to him. See what's wrong with him. I have a pain in my side. I think God's going to make me a wife. But, now you won't believe this, but down at Florida Bible College years ago, Dr. Seymour told us this in class, that he had a student that came to see him. And she was very, very concerned. And uh, she says to Dr. Seymour, I, I think I'm pregnant. And she was one of the, a sharp student. She says, what? I, I think I'm pregnant. Well, he didn't know how far to go into this, so. He says, well, what happened? I, you know what happened, but what happened, you know? Says this boy, he kissed me. And he was so relieved to be able to tell her that she's okay. Some people just never understand some of these things because, you know, they're, they're really sheltered. Betty has oftentimes told me, said, Yankee, you live a sheltered life. That there's so much out there that I don't know what's going on. And I guess I am kind of sheltered because ever since I trust the Lord, I've just been in my own world just doing what I do. And I guess there's a lot of things going on that I don't pay much attention to. But notice this, in the very beginning, God said this, and in verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, brought her unto the man. Isn't that wonderful? Should we wait till the woman is brought to the man? Well, sometimes the women are looking, and uh, the men are looking too. Because it says, He that findeth a good wife findeth a good thing. So it's a, a good thing, and he findeth her. So anyway... In verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The word that I want you to think about here is this one word, cleave. It's kind of like two being glued together. They're becoming like one person. Where after a while you should be able to, you know, know how the other one thinks and acts and so much about the person. And uh, you're kind of like glued together. And that's why the Lord says, And what God joined together, let not man put asunder. So man is not supposed to divide that which God 
put together. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Matthew in chapter 19. Because this really, believe it or not, has to do with the law. And it may not seem like that at first, but I think you'll see it in just a minute. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 19, notice in verse 5, down in verse 5, he says, And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife. Now there's the same thing that we read back there in the book of Genesis. So Jesus refers back to the way it was in the beginning. Then he says this, And they shall to be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore, get this, God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder or divide it. But that word cleave in verse 5 lets you know what it means when it's down there in verse 6, what God hath joined together. So it's two people who come together as God sees them as one person. So one body only needs one head. And that's why if it has two heads, it's a freak. It's only supposed to have one head. And the head of the body is Christ concerning the church, but the man is the head of the home, or supposed to be. Now, everything is not always unique and perfect, so because of sin, everything gets messed up. But it's still God's ideal, the way God designed it. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, I want you to look there. Matthew chapter 16, the question came up as Jesus was talking with his disciples. In verse 13, Matthew chapter 16, he says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, that's like asking somebody who's buried in Grant's tomb, or when was the War of 1812? Because he just gave them the answer. Who do they say that I am? The Son of Man. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and Elijah, others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it's uh, difficult sometimes trying to explain what some of these things mean. But in verse 18, when he says, thou art Peter, which is a pebble, but upon this rock, this statement that he had made, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is what he's going to build his church upon. He's not building a church upon Peter. That was not the promise. So Peter was not the first pope. He even had a mother-in-law. So we're assuming he had a wife. And the Bible says he had a wife, because Jesus had to heal his wife. So did the Lord make promises only to Peter that he had a certain miraculous power to do something that nobody else ever did. See, look there in the very next verse, in verse 19. 
And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So it looks like that Peter has the keys to the kingdom to decide who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't get to go to heaven. Who is bound and who is not bound. So this is where you have some of the Catholics who believe that their priests have the power to forgive sins. And this is why you confess your sins to the priest. And he can take them away or give you some various things to do. But it's a very powerful verse. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to, um, to really to explain. But when he says here, whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. So, um, and whatever is loose on earth is loose in heaven. So what do you think he's talking about? Now, understand this. God told this just to Peter. But later on, it wasn't just to Peter. Peter believed what Jesus said about who he was. And upon this truth, he's going to build his church. So the key is to getting people to believe that message that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the word Christ means the lamb that was going to pay for the sins and come back from the dead. So it has more in its meaning of the name and what it stood for. That's why he that believeth in the name, because you knew what the name meant. So God will abide, I believe, by the decisions in heaven that man makes upon the earth. Now, if I trust Christ as my Savior down here, will God abide my, by, by my decision in heaven? If I reject Christ down here, God will abide by that decision that I made. So man can make a decision that will stand good for all eternity. So the key thing is, is to trust Christ as Savior here while I can, because that's what God's going to go by for all eternity. Either I'm saved or I'm lost. As a tree falls, so shall it lay. If you're righteous because you trust the Lord when you die, then you're righteous for eternity. And if you're not, then you're wicked for all eternity. You're either saved or you're lost. But what does it mean when he talks about being loosed and not loosed and all that? Uh, look at another scripture with me. I want you to see this real quick. Look there in the Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18... When he talks about, you'll notice something else that's in the same line of thinking. Look in verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, sin against you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or more witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this wasn't something said only to the Peter. Uh, this is also something to people that will even be in the church. And the church hadn't been started yet. So it's not just something he gave to Peter without giving to somebody else. But it means if somebody sins against me, I have the power to forgive them for sinning against me. If I sin against somebody else, they have the power to forgive me. 
And so me forgiving and so forth is a, a good thing to do. So he says to do this, and as you go down through here, you'll see some more interesting things. Now, look in John in chapter 20, the Gospel of John and chapter 20. At the end of the book of John, Jesus has come back from the dead, paid for sins. And then you'll notice here in John chapter 20, look in verse 19. In verse 19, page 1144, he says, Then the same day at evening, then the first day of the week. So if it's at evening, first day of the week, it's okay to have a church service on Sunday nights, wouldn't you think? What day would that be? Sunday night. Well, lo and behold, here we are. So we're scriptural so far. He says, When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now remember, the first time we read about this was in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, when he was talking to Peter. And then we also read that in chapter 18 of the book of Matthew, he was talking about the people could do this. Now he's over here telling his disciples that you can do this. He must have given us some kind of superpower. Well, I think it's uh, leading into a, a great explanation. What did he tell the disciples to do? Go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. And when you preach the gospel, as he says in the last part, and I want you to see this. Look there in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You'll notice what he says here in verse 46. Luke 24, 46 says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and, get this, remission of sins... Remission of sins. Well, that's what these other scriptures have been talking about. Remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So then, He must be giving to the apostles the right to go and preach the gospel, and through the gospel, people could have their sins taken away. Now, He paid for the sins of the world. But I don't believe the payment is put to your account until you believe that he did it. I had one man tell me not long ago, he says, all the sins of the world have already been all forgiven. Uh, no, I don't think he's all been forgiven. They've been paid. But people have not yet been forgiven until they accept his forgiveness by accepting the payment he made for them. But anyway, it says here, and ye are witnesses of these things. So they were commanded to go into all the world, and they're going to have a certain power or authority to do that. And he says, all power is given unto me. And therefore, he says, I'm commanding you, and then you are to command those that you have explained the gospel to, Matthew 28. 
Now, if this is all true, and I believe that it is, take your Bible now and turn to the book of Acts in chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And look in verse 43. Verse 43. Let's just start, first of all, in verse 42, because it kind of ties in with the book of Luke in chapter 24, where he made the statement he had commanded them. So he says in verse 42, And he commanded us to preach unto the people to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give, get this, all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now, it's not so whoever the man is, the man does not forgive the sins. The priest does not forgive the sin. The preacher doesn't forgive the sin. It's whosoever believeth in him he will forgive their sins. But you and I have been given the gospel message, and we have the right, the right, the authority to tell a lost man that if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven, and God gives to you eternal life. Is that true or not? So every one of us have the ability through the gospel to explain the gospel to a lost man. And we can tell a lost man, when you trust Christ as your Savior, all your sins are forgiven and you have the free gift of everlasting life and you can go to heaven when you die and you can know it. Now, are, am I telling it because I saved him or because I forgave him? No, because I preached the gospel. This is what he's talking about us doing. I believe this is what he's talking about when he told Peter and when he talked about his disciples. And then they were commanded to tell the other one. So the reason that we can tell somebody, look, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you can know that you're going to heaven. Now, where did I get the right to tell that? Well, from the book. I can tell that little boy that raised his hand this morning that God has forgiven you and you have eternal life and you're going to heaven when you die. If you believe that what Christ did, he did it for you. You can tell that little lady that trusts the Lord back there this morning that if you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that payment that Christ made, he put it to your account. Now, I'm only telling them what the Lord did. But do you realize the opportunity that God has given to us to be able to go into all the world? And the thing that bothers people is this thing about sin because of the guilt that it brings and all the wickedness that it brings. And you and I are the only hope to people in this world. God has left us here, and we are their only hope. If we don't explain the gospel and make it clear. Now, we had someone that trusted the Lord earlier this morning, and we had about five that must have got happy on a... Did you see that? Seven times? They must have trusted the Lord. I don't know if the whole family was watching, or he just got, uh, you know, he was nervous. But whether or not they were trying to figure it out, I don't know. But we have somebody who trusts the Lord from all over, just about every day, every day. And so we thank the Lord for that. Now, take your Bible and go to the book of John in chapter 8. The Gospel of John in chapter 8. Because he talks about, in the book of Acts that we looked at a while ago, in chapter 10, of that preach the forgiveness of sin, whosoever believeth. So when you believe, the reason he can forgive you is because he's already paid for your sins. If he hadn't paid for your sins, he can't forgive you. But he can forgive you because he paid for them. 
Now, here in John chapter 8, there's something else that's interesting here. Look what he says in verse 21. In verse 21, he says, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whether I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, That ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, Ye shall die in your sins. Now, does that look like they've already been forgiven of all their sins? I don't think so. But it's he that believeth. And if you will not believe, you will die in your sins. Not that you're like paying for your sins, because the payment's already been made, but you would not accept the forgiveness of God. You wouldn't accept that payment He made on the cross for you. But you and I have been given the opportunity that when we talk to somebody, to represent God Almighty in telling a person, do you want to go to heaven? Yes, I do. Or right, listen to this. Give them the gospel. They believe it. You have the authority from God. You can tell them God has forgiven them of all their sins, and that payment Christ made has been put to their account, and they can know that they have eternal life and know that they're going to heaven when they die. Now, you didn't do anything except explain the gospel message. But the Bible says, the, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. It's the power. And... You explaining it, there is power in that message. There is no other message that can do this. This is what makes it so wonderful. This is why the devil will do anything possible to keep us from reaching people for the Lord or to think there's something else more important. But you see, a lot of these scriptures, you don't really understand them until you're clear on the gospel. When you understand the truth, the clarity of the gospel, that clear gospel is what gives you good focus and you can go back and understand a lot of these scriptures but because a lot of people are not clear on the gospel therefore they mess up all of these verses and try to make them say something they don't really say now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 1 Corinthians and chapter 7 you see when it was talking there in the book of Matthew and Talking about bound, loose, bound, loose. Here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, it's talking a little bit about marriage and so on. But then he says up there in uh, verse 2, this is in chapter 7, 2 and 3, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. And it goes on down through, and here says some interesting things and so forth, but it's talking about marriage. And there's nothing wrong with a man and a woman getting married. But then you find out, what about if you don't want to be married anymore? Look in verse 10. Unto the married I say, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled, no, back to her husband. 
let not the husband put away or separate it from his wife. But the rest speak I, not the Lord. It means that uh, what he had just said was in the Old Testament, and now he says this is something new that he is writing, but it's never been done before, but he's still writing by inspiration. And so he says some more things down through here about this being bound and not being bound. So look there at this verse. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, look in verse 20. Well, let's just start there in verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment as one that obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. In other words, they were living in hard times, people being killed, and people taking, uh, suffering greatly because of, of the persecution against believers and so forth. But he says, for the present distress, I say, that it's good for a man to be so. Don't be like him, not to have a worry about a wife. Because if you've got to worry about a wife, it can take more pressure. But he says this. He says in verse 27, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Bound, loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But that's not forever. That was because of the present situation. When times were better, then that's a little bit different. But he does say, but and if you marry, uh, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. In other words, because of the way things are and, and life and so forth, it may be a lot more difficult. There could be better times down the road. Sometimes it's just not the, maybe the best time to get married. But he's talking about being bound and being loose. The Bible talks about it in the Old Testament, being cleave, glued to one another, and what God joined together, don't be separated from it. Now take your Bible and go all the way over there to the book of Romans in chapter 7. Romans in chapter 7. We had uh, talked the other night a little bit about Romans in chapter 7. But what I wanted you to see, and he's talking to those that know the law. In verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. And the woman which hath the husband is, and here's that word, bound by the law to her husband. Like glued together. And uh, the only way you can get free is that uh, one of them has to die. So as long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Now, this is why you and I have been so bound together because of our sinful nature that we cannot get free from our sinful nature. Regardless of the man's desire to be free, you can't get free. You can't free yourself from the sinful nature. You can't free yourself from the law. And you can't free yourself from death. So that's why we want to be free from the law, free from the sin, and free from death. So when Christ came and died on the cross, he was born under the law so that he could redeem us from the curse of the law. And so he had to get us separated from our sins. So Christ, who had no sin, could take all of the sin, pay for it on the cross, come back from the dead, and give us forgiveness of sins when we trust him as our Savior. So then, when you are free from the law, 
you're now free, you're loosed. You're no longer bound by the law. You're free to marry Christ. You're free to accept another. So that it's okay for you to accept Christ as your Savior because you're made free from the law. How? By your death. Well, when did you die? Christ died in your place. But that death payment is not put to your account until you believe. And when you believe, everything Christ did is put to your account, and you are like buried with Christ and rose to walk in newness of life. Now, the next service that we have on Wednesday night is going to go through and explain a lot of this, and I think you'll see it. It's, it's really beautiful. It's clear as a bell. So you and I, once we've trusted the Lord, now we are free. We are free from that law. Now, I want you to see something here. In Romans in chapter 7, it talks about we have been made free from the law. The law is not to touch you ever again, so it can't condemn you. That's why you can't go to hell in the future. Once you are free, now you belong to Christ. You're joined together. Joined together with the Lord. So once you have been joined together with the Lord, well, what does he have to say about that? Look in chapter 8. Chapter 8. And this is why this scripture is here because of what we read in chapter 7. Now you, are been, you have been joined together to Christ. You have eternal life. And just like in the marriage, you're not supposed to be separate except by death. Now you're joined to Christ and there can be no separation because there can be no sin. Your new birth cannot sin. Christ cannot sin. So how long will your union last? Forever and ever and ever. That's why he says there is no condemnation to those who have been joined together with Christ. Now, down here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, this is why this question is so important. Who shall, what's that word? Look up here. Who shall separate us from Christ? You have been joined together with him. And he promises, guarantees, like when a man and a woman get married, he takes a vow. I promise to love, honor, and cherish, and all that. And she says, to love, honor, and obey. You know, a lot of people make a lot of vows they have no intentions of keeping until things get hard, just difficult, or until death do us part. Most people add that in there, don't they? So what does it mean? So here, when you're talking about it, and this is why marriage is supposed to be the picture of I accept her, and she accepts me, and we're joined together until death do us part. Now, when you accept Christ as your Savior, He's perfect. And when you trust the Lord, believing that He paid for all of your sins, He gives you His righteousness, you now are as righteous as Christ. That's why there can be no separation. I give unto them eternal life, and He said, I will never cast you out. It's like saying, I'll never divorce you. I'll never leave you. You have this security, this guarantee. So down in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine. All these are reasons why 
men and women get divorced for sin, one reason or another. Something doesn't work out, hardness of the heart, whatever it is. And we are all sinners. We all mess up. But look what he says. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. Through him that did what? That loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So look up here. You have been joined together with Christ. And God says it can never be loose. You can never get loose. No man can ever take you out of his hand. It is guaranteed because he is perfect and he made you perfect in Christ. And you've been joined together with him. In your new birth, you cannot sin. Your new birth cannot sin. Cannot sin, it cannot die. Death is separation. That's why I said we cannot be separated because we cannot sin. The new birth cannot sin. So there can be no death, no separation from God. And that's why you are his child and his child forever once you've trusted him as your Savior. Let me show you this. You've never seen this before. But you'll notice as you go through the Bible, there's a lot of things that God has done, a lot of stories, illustrations that he puts in the Scriptures, like this story about this marriage thing in the book of Romans in chapter 7. Why does he put that in there? It's an illustration of this wonderful great truth that once you trust him as your Savior, he'll never ever cast you out. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. Now, He hates our sin, but He loves us. And for us, to pay for sin is eternal separation from the Lord. Because of death, it's separation from the Lord in a literal fire burning hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. Righteous is God, but nobody's perfect. So, God says, you cannot save yourself. Now, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, paid for all the sins of the world, came back from the dead. Said he tells us that know the truth, the gospel, go into all the world and preach the forgiveness of sin. You can be forgiven because he paid for it. See, he can't just forgive you. He had to pay for it first. And when you believe on Jesus Christ... You are forgiven. And as he says in the book of Acts in chapter 13, but this man, after you have trusted Christ as your Savior and you believe on him, you're justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses when you believe. And so when you believe in Romans in chapter 4, he says that his righteousness is imputed unto you. So when you believe that he did this for you, he gives to you as a free gift, everlasting life. And we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. We are then joined together with the Lord. We have eternal life, eternal union with God. And he said he will never cast us, never separate. There's no way it can ever be done. You can never be, that's why you can never go to hell in the future. And all the sins you commit in the flesh 
from that old first birth can never alter or change this. God can't change it. You can't change it. Once you trust Christ as Savior, like it or not, you're going to heaven. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. If you've never trusted the Lord, would you do it right now? Just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe that when you died, you died for me. And I'm going to trust Jesus Christ right now as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would trust Him, He would save you. Give you eternal life, and you can go to heaven whenever you die. If you're watching by internet tonight, realize how simple it is. He offers it, and you accept it. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's the gift. Would you accept that free gift of everlasting life? If you will, God said He would save you right now. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. We're so thankful that you've made these things simple and clear in your word. And that the lens of the gospel helps us to understand the rest of scripture. So bless each one here. Bless our church. We ask your Father, your blessings upon all the things that we need to get ready for this. These things coming up this fall for the college and the room and for the kids. And just a, a lot of decisions to make. Uh, we pray your will to be done in Christ's name. Amen.